Hello, everyone. So I want to talk to you today about the greatness and the glory of the Lord God Almighty. And we're going to look at that topic and I'd like to return your Bibles to Haggai, chapter 2, verse 6 through 9. That's Haggai, chapter 2, 6 through 9. And we're really going to focus on these verses, that name of God that's used there, the Lord God Almighty, uh, the Lord of hosts. And this is what the verses read. This is what the Lord Almighty says. In a little while, I will once more shake the heavens and the earth, the land and the sea. I'll shake all nations and what is desired by all nations will come. And I will fill this house with glory, says the Lord Almighty. The silver is mine and the gold is mine, declares the Lord Almighty. The glory of the present house will be greater than the glory of the former house, says the Lord Almighty. And in this place, I will grant peace, declares the Lord Almighty. Now, used quite a bit in those verses, right? That name for God, the Lord Almighty, or the Lord of hosts. I believe these verses, these four verses, will give us a better understanding of what it means to say that the Lord Almighty is great and he's glorious. Now, we're not going to look too much at the historical context of this. We will point out one historical thing towards the end, which I think will help make sense to what we're looking at in terms of practical application. But I just want us to focus on what it means when the Bible uses this title, the Lord Almighty, the Lord of hosts. We're told that when we are facing things in this life that shake the very foundations of our life, that can cause us to doubt or have depression or get discouraged, to cause us to worry or have stress or to be afraid, that the Lord of hosts always tells us to be strong, to trust in him, and to rely and depend upon him. The solution to what is our upheaval is not our own might, it's not our own strength. The solution is not found in that, but rather it's found in the spirit of the Lord of hosts, the Lord Almighty. Now, turn to Isaiah chapter 47, verse 7, and here you see this title of God used again, and it's used in terms of redemption. He's called Jehovah Sabaoth, which is our Redeemer, which means the Lord of hosts is his name, the Holy One of Israel, Jehovah Sabaoth. He is the Lord of hosts. That Sabaoth means an army, a force, or Almighty. The Lord Almighty is the one who's over all the spiritual forces, and those spiritual forces are led by him. And in the Bible, it tells us when this phrase is used, it's used in terms of assisting God's people when they need help. Now think about it. All the spiritual forces that you cannot see, the Lord leads them to help you in your time. Isn't that wonderful? And this is a great thought that's point, pointed out here. In fact, earlier Isaiah declares that when the Lord Almighty has a purpose, it can never be annulled. Isn't that great to know? The Lord will carry out his purposes. It will never uh, be annulled. And what we know that one of the main purposes of the Lord of hosts, Lord Almighty, is to help us, to help those who believe in him. In Psalm 103, it's a scene of where the angels are being spoken to, and they're told to praise God, you angels, you mighty ones who do his bidding, who obey his words. So the scriptures tell us that God gives his angels instructions. So what are the instructions for those spiritual forces? 
that the Lord of hosts gives to them, and that is to help take care of us. If we could just pull back the curtain, wouldn't that be great? Just for a moment, to glimpse and be able to see the throne room of God. You'd see all that vastness of the angelic forces around and the living creatures around the throne of God, and you would see them in obedience to God and giving glory and praise to Him. Wouldn't that be great? So I want you to think about that because that should encourage you to make the decision to only speak words of faith into whatever you find yourself facing. Speak those words of faith into your home and into your life. To let those words of faith set into motion that heavenly host to come to your assistance and to come to your guide. I love the picture of the throne room of God in Revelation 4. And in Revelation 4 verse 7, it has the picture of that heavenly host surrounding the throne of God. And notice what they are continually saying about the Lord God Almighty, the Lord of hosts. They're saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. And then you find in verse 9, a couple of verses later, that these ruling hosts are giving glory, honor, and thanks to him, the Lord God Almighty, who sits on the throne and who lives for how long? See, forever and ever. He's the eternal Lord God Almighty. And then in verse 10, these ruling heavenly hosts are casting down their crowns and they are saying before the throne, you are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power for you created all things and by your will they were created and have their being. Now listen, what are the heavenly hosts doing with the Lord God Almighty? They are obeying his word. They are bowing before him in worship. And they are declaring you are worthy of all glory, honor, and praise because you're the one who has created everything and everything moves and has their being in you. And I'm just telling you, that's what we must do, right? When the world is shaking, we put our faith in God. When everything seems to be in an upheaval, our focus, our faith is on God. I don't know how many of you read the book years and years ago by J.B. Phillips. It's called Your God is Too Small. Anyone ever read that book? If you've not read that book, maybe you need to read it. I would encourage you to do so. If you read it a long time ago, you need to read it again. It's a great time to read it right now. Because the basic premise of this is the older we get, we let misconceptions about God make our God smaller and smaller if we're not careful as we get older. We listen to people who say what God can do and what he can't do, and we go through different things in life that kind of make us think, well, maybe God can't do that when he used to believe that he could. And little by little, this great almighty Lord God Almighty, the ruler of the heavenly hosts, becomes smaller and smaller and smaller in our mind. And so we begin to think in that misconception that God cannot do what he says he can do. And so when we, our world is shaken by a certain problem, we look for other solutions. We think, well, yeah, I believe in God, but I don't know if he can help me through this one. Or when we have a setback in our life, uh, we, we think, well, you know, God, I wish he could help me, but I just don't think he's going to help me. You know what's happened? Your God is too small. Now, let me ask, has God shrunk? <laughs> has gotten, God gotten smaller over time? Now, I hear as you get older, you begin to lose some of your height, right? <laughs> I mean, God's eternal. God has not shrunk. God is still the Lord Almighty, the Lord of all hosts. And what happens is when we no longer have a large view of God, 
then we become consumed with the fears and the shaking and the upheaval of our life and sometimes even panic. So what's the solution? The solution is to remember that the Lord Almighty is on the throne. So would you please get your problem off the throne and put God where he belongs? Don't make your God too small. He's the Lord God. Your whole outlook changes when you have a great, large view of who God is and you will trust in him. He's called the Lord Almighty, the Lord of hosts. That means all the spiritual forces, everything is under God's control at his command. I love the story of David and Goliath. It's one of my favorite ones. I talk about it a lot. But I think about the time when David was facing Goliath. And look at that verse. David is facing Goliath. And notice what he says. He says to that Goliath, that giant, that I'm going to come in the name of whom? The Lord God Almighty. He says, you're coming, Goliath, with me, against me with sword, spear, and javelin. But I come against you in the name of the Lord of the heavenly hosts, the God of Israel, the one that you insulted. Now, I've often thought about this. David really doesn't make too much comments about how tall Goliath is. Doesn't make any reference pretty much to how massive those weapons are that are coming against him, does he? In his situation, what does David do? He thinks about the greatness of the Lord of hosts, and he thinks how small Goliath seems next to the Lord Almighty. He has the right view, doesn't he? And so when the whole Israelite army was paralyzed with fear because all they saw was this giant, this problem, David's not paralyzed. He said, I'm coming to you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the Lord of hosts. You've insulted him. It's over for you. You see the difference? You see the difference? He was not threatened by the problem. He saw God as the solution. Now, when I say we're looking at Haggai today and we're going to learn to understand more about God, I don't mean we're going to know fully about God. We can't do that, can we? We can't fully understand who God is, but by looking at him, we can understand more and it strengthens our faith, at least mine, and increases my hope. The greater I see the vastness of God and who he is. How about you? I know Job said in Job 11, verse 7, can you by reason understand the depths of God or discover the limits of the Lord Almighty? And the answer is, of course not. But when you do look at God and you try to reason about the depths of God and you discover things about God, it does increase your faith, doesn't it? And it increases your hope. I like what Paul said in Romans 11, verse 33. Yes, God's riches are very, very great. And his wisdom and his understanding have no end. No one can explain what God decides. No one can understand his ways. So obviously, we can't understand everything about God. But man, when you try and you look and see and you dwell and you contemplate just how the richness and the wisdom of what God is, it causes your faith to increase and your hope as well, doesn't it? So Haggai... The prophet uses this term 14 times, the Lord God Almighty, the Lord of hosts, in his prophecies. We can't understand fully who the Lord Almighty is, but it will lead us to seek him and find him. And that's what God wants us to do. So what does it mean when we talk about the greatness and the glory of the Lord God Almighty? I want to look at his greatness first, his greatness. The Lord Almighty says, in a little while... I will once more shake the heavens and the earth, the sea, and the dry land. I want you to see the greatness of the Lord Almighty. The Lord Almighty is great 
because he's the creator. Amen? He's the creator. When you look in Genesis 1, verse 16, we're told that in the beginning, he's the creator, right? That God created the heavens and the earth. If you look at the next slide, that God is the creator, all right? And that Genesis 1, 16, he's the one that created all the earth. Now, there are all sorts of theories, right, about how this universe was created. You can find all sorts of theories about how it was created, the vastness of it, how large it is, and how old it is. All sorts of theories. I don't think as humans we will fully ever understand exactly how it was created or how old it is or how vast it is. But you know, when you look at this, we do know one thing. We know who created it, don't we? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And we know that God started the creation of all this by speaking it into existence, right? We know that about him. Our God is great because he's the creator of all things, created the universe. And if he created the universe, then he's the controller of the universe, isn't he? He controls the heaven and the earth. I like what it says in Colossians about how God controls the universe through Jesus Christ, that Christ is the one through whom all things were created, things on heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. He's before all things and him, all things hold together. He controls the universe, the heaven and the earth. He's the creator of it. The Lord Almighty is also great because of his great, incredible power. Look in verse 6 again. I will once more shake the heavens and the earth, the sea and the dry land. You know what he's saying there? He's saying that all the things that we consider to be stable and secure, God's going to shake them. And God has the power to shake the entire universe, including this earth. Think about that. Think about how powerful God has to be to shake the entire universe. You think about that. I think about what it says about God who stretched out the entire universe like a curtain, who in the final judgment is going to shake everything up and roll it up like a what? A scroll. God is all powerful. He's the Lord of hosts. I'm going to shake things up. I'm going to bring about my judgment. You can count on that. In Hebrews chapter 12, it says, yet once more I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. The words once again clearly show us that everything that was created will be what? Destroyed. God created and God's going to what? Destroy. That is the things that can be what? Shaken. And only what cannot be shaken will remain. And that's going to be you if you're a child of God. Amen? Because you're on the solid rock of Jesus Christ. Now, I believe that God shakes things up. And you have evidence of that even in our own lives. When God shakes things up, that like the heavenly host out of reverence, it should cause us to declare that the Lord Almighty is worthy of all honor, glory, and praise for being the creator, and he's done everything according to his will. I think about earthquakes for a moment, because this is what this is talking about, earthquakes in this context. Earthquakes are a physical jolt. How many of you have ever been through an earthquake? So I've been through two or three, you know, mild ones, but, uh, but earthquakes can be a jolt out of the blue, obviously, right? And some are very disastrous. God has used earthquakes and will use earthquakes to show his purpose to shake this world. Now, I don't believe that every earthquake is a message from God, so don't misunderstand me. But I do believe, like the rainbow in the sky, when we experience an earthquake, 
we're supposed to pay attention and remind ourselves that God is the Lord of hosts, the Lord Almighty. And this is, this is why I think about this. So I did a little bit of research. The times in the Bible when earthquakes are mentioned. Did you know there was an earthquake at the cross? An earthquake at the cross in Matthew 27. When Jesus dies, the temple curtain is ripped in two because there has been an earthquake at the time of his death. Can you imagine that? Here, the devil thinks he's winning and darkness is over the world, you know. And the Son of God has died, and they think they're winning. And at that precise moment, God causes what? An earthquake to occur. Did you know there was an earthquake at the tomb? On the day of the resurrection, soldiers are standing guard. Remember, in front of the tombs, this large stone that no one can roll away. Right? It says there, there was suddenly a strong earthquake that struck. And the Lord's angel came down from heaven, and the Lord's angel rolled the stone away. There's an earthquake, Christ's death at his resurrection. Do you know that there will be earthquakes at his return? I find four of them mentioned in Revelation. Four earthquakes that are going to happen just prior to his return. Major earthquakes. Devastating earthquakes. One mentioned in chapter 6, chapter 8, chapter 11, and chapter 16. Major earthquakes that just rattle and shatter and shake this world prior to his return. The greatness of the Lord Almighty is revealed in his power to shake the world. And he shakes the world at the cross, at the resurrection, and at the return. I also think about earthquakes in the church. Did you know there are earthquakes in the church? In Acts chapter 4, as the people are gathered together praying. Remember that story? As they're praying, the physical foundation was what? Shaken. And they were filled with the Holy Spirit, and they began to speak boldly the Word of God. I think about the church and the ministry of Paul and Silas in Philippi in Acts chapter 16. Remember, they're preaching the Word of God. They go to Philippi, preach it. They're flogged. The jailers give them the command to watch over those with his own life. At midnight, it says, Paul and Silas are singing praises to God, and the other prisoners are listening. And what happens then? It says, suddenly a violent earthquake hits and opens up the prison doors, opens up the prison doors. And then in Matthew 24, Jesus says, look, I want you to know that there will be rumors of war and disease and drought, and there will be earthquakes, all right? He talks about that prior to the fall of Jerusalem in AD 70. But then he points to his return. You will, you will see the Son of Man coming in his glory. And here's what's going to precede it right here. The sun will be darkened, the moon will not give its light, the stars will fall from the sky, and the heavenly bodies will be shaken. Then will appear the Son of Man in heaven. In heaven. There's an earthquake. An earthquake in the life of Christ. Earthquake in the church. Earthquakes at the judgment. God's doing a lot of shaking, isn't he? <laughs> There's a lot of judgment taking place here. Well, we've done a little bit of excursion about earthquakes, so I kind of enjoyed studying that for a little bit. There's more there you can see. So I want to get back to Haggai. And so here we're talking about the greatness of God as the creator and his power. Why does he talk about that? He wants us to reflect upon the greatness of God. If God is in control, which he is of this universe, and God's the creator of all of it, he wants us to know that no matter what's shaken in your life, no matter what upheaval there is, God has the power and the ability to help you as the Lord of hosts. Amen? That's what he wants us to know. Nothing in this world 
is getting out of hand. Nothing in this world is going to be the end that we create ourselves. God is in control. God is on the throne. And he's not going to submit to anyone else. And we must submit to him. Nothing takes God by surprise. The second thing about the greatness of God is I think we should offer praise to God for his salvation. The salvation that we have in Jesus Christ. I love the old song, how about you? On Christ the solid rock I stand. All other ground is what? Sinking sand. All other ground is sinking sand. When I was a little kid, I used to love to sing this song in worship. Because I, used to, I thought they were singing, on Christ the solid rock I stand, all other ground is stinking sand. <laughs> and I would sing stinking sand every time. <laughs> and I remember even when I knew it didn't say that, I just like singing it that way anyway. Right? But that is so true. We build our lives on the rock of Jesus Christ. All other ground is sinking sand. That's what Jesus says. If you build your life not on him, but on the sinking sand, when he returns, it will be destroyed. I, I like through all this. So am I on the solid rock of Christ? What does that mean? Well, you go to Psalm 46, and we can look at the entire psalm, but we don't have time. I just want to look at a couple things. But just preceding the verse on the screen, it says, God is my refuge in time of help. He is my very present helper in times of my need, rather. And then it says, we will not fear when the earthquakes and the mountains shake. When the water roars, when the nations fall, when the kingdoms fall, and people are all in distress and chaos, uh, no, the reason why we do not fear is because, verse 7, the Lord Almighty, the Lord of hosts, is with us. We're on God's side. We don't have to fear this. Day of judgment for us is a day of joy. It's not a day of fear or dread. We should be in awe of the greatness of God. We should reflect upon that. And we should praise God for the salvation he offers us in Christ Jesus because it should convict us of our daily life. It should convict us of our daily life. I like what Peter says in 2 Peter 3 verse 11 about this conviction. Everything will be destroyed in this way. So what kind of people should you be? So God's going to bring this judgment. The Lord Almighty is in charge. He will bring the shaking. What kind of people should you be? Your life should be what? Holy and devoted to God. Now, I find a lot of people who want to know when this is going to happen. There's some great books written about when this is going to take place, right? A lot of people are interested in the when. But I believe the question is not the when, but the are. It's not so much when is it going to happen, but are you ready when it does? See, which is more important, the when or the are? Are you ready? The old song, are you ready for the judgment day? Are you ready for the Lord of hosts? Are you putting your faith in him? The Lord Almighty is great. The greatness of the Lord is the reason why he receives the glory. Let's look at the glory of the Lord Almighty. Go back to Haggai chapter 2, now verse 8 and 9. The silver is mine, the gold is mine, declares the Lord Almighty. What is desired by all the nations will come. And I will fill this house, there he's talking about the temple, with glory, says the Lord Almighty. The glory of this present house, that is the temple, will be greater than the glory of the former house, that is the first temple of Solomon, says the Lord Almighty. And in this place I will grant peace, declares the Lord Almighty. Now let's look at that glory 
of the Lord God Almighty. Now it says, all the silver and gold belong to whom? God, right? It all belongs. God never lacks resources. Whatever God wants done on this earth will never lack the resources. A church should never say they don't have enough money. If it's a godly cause, it should never say we don't have enough resources. The only time we don't have enough resources is not because God has run out, but because we lack faith and we won't sacrifice. And when we have faith and we sacrifice, God finds the coin in the fish's mouth every time. The resources are always there. God never runs out. The same God who took the little boy's lunch and fed 5,000 plus is still the same Lord God Almighty today who can take care of you. Do you believe that? Do you have the faith in that? Well, we have to have that faith to look to God Almighty as the one who has all the riches of his grace that are available unto us. These are mine, he says. There's no bankruptcy in heaven. There's no financial collapse in heaven. There's no economic turmoil. There's no depression, no recession, no drought. God never runs out of those resources. All those things belong to him. And so the first thing we see in glorifying God is the riches of his grace. But then I want you to notice what else he says in the next verses about who God is. Notice, earlier in Haggai, it now says in the early part of chapter 2 that the people, there were some people during that time who had been alive who had worshipped in the first temple of Solomon. And now they're alive and they're worshipping in the second temple. And they're disappointed. They're disappointed. The rich grandeur of the first temple of Solomon had just been so impressive, so glorious. And now they find themselves worshiping in the second temple, and it's disappointing. Not quite as large, not quite the grandeur, just doesn't have the same feeling, just doesn't feel like they were the first time. And they're disappointed. They're disappointed. They're saying that the glory of the first temple was so much better than the temple they had now. And God talks to them, and he says, look, I know you're disappointed. I know that this is different but my glory is the same. And I know that you've experienced glory in the first temple, but I'm here to tell you that you're going to experience greater glory in the second temple. Right now it's different, but where you're worshiping is going to lead to something even greater with more glory. What's going to make the, simple, make the second temple with, filled with more glory than the first? Verse 7 tells you. The desire of the nations will come. The Bible tells you that the desire of the nations is the Messiah. You know who's going to worship in the second temple who did not worship in the first temple? The Lord Jesus Christ. The Messiah is coming, the Prince of Peace, to this earth, and he will worship and he will be in that second temple. He will enter that second temple. And that means that the glory of the present temple, that second temple, that they are disappointed in is going to be greater than the first one. Now, the gospel tells us, and by the, way, by the way, what does the word gospel mean? The good news. The good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ tells us that Jesus entered into the temple, that he prayed in the temple, that he read in the temple, that he healed in the temple, that he blessed in the temple, and that he granted peace in the temple. He is the fulfillment of that. And that's why that second temple was greater than the first. What, what an opportunity. What, when you look at what's happening here. 
Now, when I think about this, I want to make a practical application. How do we practically put the greatness and the glory of God into our life today? That's what I I want to do. I think, first of all, we have to continually worship God for his greatness and for his glory. Now, I know that many of you are still worshiping online. And some of you are worshiping here. And I know for some of you, it's a disappointment, this type of worship. I get that. It's not the same as it was the first time. It's not the same as it was before March. It's a little bit disappointing. You're having to stay home. Or you're coming here and we're spread out. It's disappointing a little bit. If you're honest, it's not the same. We're thankful we get to worship, right? But it just doesn't feel the way it used to. It just doesn't feel the same. And if we're not careful, we'll say, I can't, and I'm not even going to come to worship, some are saying, until it's like it was before. So you hear some people say that as well. Can I just tell you something? Let's acknowledge that this is a different time. Will we acknowledge that? It's a different, is it going to stay this way? No. When will it end? Maybe the first Sunday after the election, I'm not sure. (laughs) Maybe a little longer than that. But it's temporary. It will end, right? At some point, it will change. If you wait till things are perfect, right? Then you're missing out on the glory of God right now as well. You can experience the glory of God at home. You experience the glory of God of here. But you can lose that feeling if you think it has to be a certain way in a certain place for it to work. You know, as great as it was for the glory of God to be in the second temple, do you realize how much greater it is for us as children of God? Whether you're at home or here, you are the body of Christ. You are the temple of God, and the Spirit of God dwells in you. The Lord Almighty, the Lord of hosts, can be glorified in your life this very day. Amen? And that's what we need to focus. Different, yes. Is it bad? No. It's just different. And we're going to glorify God in whatever we do, in whatever season we're in, in season and out of season. And I think the writer wants me to move on. (laughs) The second point is this, all right? We need to pray and remind ourselves of just who God is. If your life is shaking and it's being shaken, and this world's in an upheaval and it is in an upheaval, and you're wondering what to do, why not start your prayer with Lord of hosts, Lord Almighty, hear my prayer. And it will remind you that you serve a living God who is the Lord of hosts, who's the King of kings. And so it's important for us to do that, to pray that way. I think a third thing we can do practically is to read God's word. Go back and read Haggai. Read the Psalms. There are so many verses in the Bible that use the phrase, Lord God Almighty. It starts with Hannah and Samuel and continues. I I challenge you to go and read all of them. And it will uplift you. It will encourage you. It will remind you of just how great God is. And you will give him glory and praise. And the fourth thing you can do is exercise your faith. Everything's being shaken, including the church today. All of us have learned something about our faith, right? We have learned things about our faith that we probably would not have learned if we'd not gone through this. 
But I'm telling you right now, for the church, this is a wonderful opportunity. A wonderful opportunity to show people what it means to live on the solid rock of Jesus Christ and to walk with the Lord of hosts, the Lord God Almighty. It's a wonderful opportunity to tell your family and your friends and to put on display how this faith built on the Lord Jesus Christ can navigate shaking times. We are in a shaking time, but you're a member of an unshakable kingdom. The Lord God, the Lord of hosts. And he's there with you. Worship him, pray to him, read his word, and stay in faith with him. Well, we close every Sunday morning with an invitation, and we want to do that today as well. If you're worshiping with us online and you need to respond, please write to the email address on the screen or call the phone number, and we'll be glad to assist you in any way. If you're here today and you'd like to have some sort of spiritual need you'd like to talk to one of the elders about, uh, please talk to uh, Larry or Dale or Ken at the close of service. They'll be glad to talk to you about it. So glad to see you today. Bless you throughout the week. And now let's continue in our worship in song and in prayer.